This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor, Ed Reed, and Asia-Pacific editor, Damon Evans. Hello, gents. I've been trying to find an elegant way for this intro of shoehorning in the fact that I was at a world premiere this week, but I can't do that without sounding like an ass. But I was at the premiere of uh, The Rig in Edinburgh this week. It what? was really cool. And I, a sneak preview? Yes, a sneak preview. It was the, the new Amazon Prime uh, TV show set in the North Sea. That was quite swanky. Lovely. Martin Compton, uh, Emily Hampshire, Ian Glenn. Did you walk down the red carpet? Were there paparazzi? Did you did you pause and wave? No, there was nothing like that. I'll tell you what there was. At the, at the intro, there was a queue and there was a little mini heli deck that said Kinloch Bravo, which is the little, you know, the, the name the rig and there's like these two smoking barrels of, of not, obviously not oil in there because that would be bloody dangerous but you know oil canisters kind of things and there's these PR um, PR people with uh, like this PPE on that said Kinlock Bravo on it I thought that's quite cool and yeah the stars were there the people from like Game of Thrones and Line of Duty and what have you so that was quite fun have you guys been to any like particularly strange jobs during your time on this kind of beat that seems a bit odd I mean I, I think I think my 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 strange uh, occurrence was I went to uh, the launch of a Formula One car by uh, by Sir Ratcliffe and uh, you know Ineos sponsors uh, is it Mercedes Benz I'm 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 not I'm not a, not really a Formula One follower, but so I was I was in a I was in a room in a in a very swanky London hotel with a, with a group of motoring journalists who were all asking questions about whether you know uh you know who was going to get picked and you know and and, and all that um and then I then I stood up and asked a question about uh, Ineos's uh, strategy in the North Sea. Which uh, I think I think surprised everybody, uh, including me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? That's a weird question. What about what about you, Damien? Can you top that? What, what's what's your uh, your gig life been like? Yeah. So on Formula One, I I was interviewing the 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 head of Petronas's like lubricants or motor oils at the Singapore Grand Prix in um, I can't. And and I was in the Mercedes garage at the back at the end of qualifying, and in comes uh, Lewis Hamilton and Keki Rosberg, and they're sitting like a couple of meters away from me. Oh, cool! And I was like trying to rem- remain cool and calm <laughs> in this surreal situation where I just wanted to get up and kind of like in my head, I'm going, "Is it is it professional to ask for autographs and, <laughs> and jump around?" And and I was like, "Well, I'm here to do an interview." Are you a Formula One guy, Herr Damon? Do you fancy that? Scene? I was, I was back then. That's why I'd kind of angled that interview to get into the pit lane and walk around and, um, <laughs> and um, see the Mercedes garage. Got to yeah. take your shot. That sounds great. Oh well, yeah. No, I, no I've been uh, ever so self indulgent and have indeed written a review of the of the rig on EnergyVoice.com. So go ahead and check that out if it floats your particular. Um, oil and gas boat but that's not what we're here for today uh we are speaking about rigs and boats and installations though uh kicking off this week with news that uh, shell's penguins fpso this is their first manned vessel in the uk north sea for about 30 years is finally leaving china for its destination in the uk that'll be via a commissioning yard in norway but covid lockdown delays we've seen you know quite prominently via protests in china in the last few weeks that's a fact of life there, and that's, been, that's had quite an impact on getting this particular FPSO away. It was meant to be here uh, in the UK and at, I think, First Oil by now. But clearly, by the time it travels, stops in Norway, gets to the field, gets hooked up, etc., we're still a long way from that. Um, so I didn't expect to be 
thanking the Chinese state-owned media for anything. But uh, as we know, info on projects getting out of there is pretty limited. Um, but it was the, the Chinese media that was um, releasing images of the construction having completed and a ceremony being held in the uh, Shandong district in eastern China uh, last week. Um, and unsurprisingly, uh, we also had you know workers posting their own pictures of it setting off, etc. after that. So it's pretty eagerly awaited in the UK. We don't know exactly how long all this will take in terms of the ship, uh, the vessel, I should say, getting there. It's been loaded onto this Pascalis white marlin heavy cargo ship and it had been contracted for a different one but again we've had these timeline problems and yeah i mean there's a couple of things here for those who don't know penguins is a redevelopment of a field which used to be tied back to the brent charlie production hub brent charlie itself stopped production last year i want to say um but this new project they say will unlock some 80 million barrels of oil equivalent for shell so pretty sizable for the uk it's going to be heading to Haggesund uh, Abel's Yard in Norway for fit-out first. But yeah, I mean, first manned vessel for Shell in you know three decades in the UK, that's a pretty important symbol. And I might suggest a target um, for climate activists too. Uh, I dare say Shell will keep pretty quiet as much as they can. But movements uh, for fear of that. But once out of China, we will have marine tracker data and we'll be able to see where it is and where it's stopping. So yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think it might be a tempting target for uh, the activist community once they they catch on to this? What are your thoughts? Is he going to is he going to kind of call at any uh, ports in the UK? I mean, I think you you were saying it's, it was going to Norway, right? And then is it going straight to the field? I mean, it, it kind of feels like Norway in the middle of the North Sea. That feels like it's going to be pretty safe from uh, people turning up. Well, uh, we don't know. I I don't think there's any plan for. Well, I don't know um, if there's any plan to stop in the UK. The only thing I could think of that would actually. Um, I mean, we have had people go out in kayaks and that, um, and and you know maybe in Norway you might get that. You obviously have the Rainbow Warrior, Greenpeace's uh, famous uh, ship, which has been known to make stops. Uh, in the UK uh, and certainly blocking oil and gas vessels um, or, or interrupting the path in, in recent years. So that might be what, what takes place. But you're, you're right enough, uh, Ed, it, it might be, it might be they can, they'll be fine with it. Um, I think once it gets closer to the field, then we might see some issues. But it really depends on what kind of information there is available. And, and you know, hopefully, you know, we can talk about the arguments for and against it, but you know it's it's still security of supply for the UK. So, you know there, there's there's the nuance. Hopefully, we can get inject into the argument too. Uh, but I'm guessing this isn't the only you know vessel that's been delayed out of China. I mean, uh, maybe Damon, have you got any views on that in terms of uh, COVID lockdowns impacting commerce, impacting this particular industry? There's been I'm guessing quite a lot of that kind of stuff going on in recent months. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of supply chain disruption, as you mentioned. I don't follow it at a granular level, um, but you mentioned the recent protests in China against the lockdowns, and there's been a lot of, I think, um, news in the international media that China's going to open up, and I think that's been reflected a bit in the oil market reports we see coming out, and maybe that's part of the reason why we're seeing the oil price soften. Um, but I was on a call to... Um, uh, the head of Scottish Development International in Beijing um, a day or two ago. And um, and I was talking to him about this. And I said, so I hear it's all opening up now or it's going to be, um, you know, it's looking optimistic. And he kind of laughed and um, and didn't look very happy and, and said, you know, his, his view was that 
the lockdowns look set to continue for quite a while. And he, he, he definitely wasn't as optimistic as the reports that I'm reading in international media about opening up. So um, great news that that vessel is out. Um, don't know how quickly things will normalize. Um, one, one thing when I was reading that story, and, um, and you've let the cat out of the bag, so the protesters know where to, where to find it. So, um, That's nice of us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was the, was the, the ship itself, the White Marlin or whatever it's called? I mean, I was just trying to, I was looking at it and thinking, well, what happens if that ship, I mean, it's an amazing piece of engineering and carrying that. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And how does it, uh, presumably they try and avoid rough seas and big waves and things. But. It does look a bit precarious on that thing, doesn't it? I mean, I'm guessing that uh, if they managed to load it on there and it is floating, it would take one hell of a rough sea to tip it off um, of the, the vessel uh, itself. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it was initially contracted out for, I think, the Boca Vanguard, which looks even bigger in terms of a cargo ship. But um, yeah, I... I I don't, I don't, we don't know what the route is. Um, presumably, it's not going to go all the way around China. Um, could it? Could it go via the Panama Canal? I don't know because it's on the east coast of China. We don't know. We'll find out. But as as if you've read the piece, you'll know um, we allude to this data laws in China that passed last year, which basically means that we can't right now get a look at the marine traffic and where it's headed. But we will, of course, keep a close eye on that to see what happens with it. But I guess with that, we'll probably leave the Shell Penguins FPSO. Um, and that's probably our least controversial story this week. Uh, next up, it's Damon with some uh, corporate bullying accusations against Woodside. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed, and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Damon, so this is uh, an important project in East Timor, but uh, is Woodside doing its diligence here or is it throwing its weight around a bit, perhaps? Big question. It's the eternal question on this project, the the great game of Greater Sunrise, as it's been called. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so it's got a nice ring to it, hasn't it? Great game of greater yeah. sunrise. That, 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 that could be the next headline, I think. The great game of greater sunrise. <laughs> yeah, I, I've used it a few times. But, uh, <laughs> Evergreen. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, it came to give credit to a, an engineer called Jeff McGee, who was um, very involved in this whole debate about 12 years ago. So hat tip for him for, for coming up with that originally. Um, but yes, it's back in the headlines again in the past week. Uh, Australian LNG developer Woodside Energy held an investment day last Thursday, um, almost a week ago, I would I would say now, and um, and they mentioned Greater Sunrise and they meant and gave a bit of an update and and they basically said that they're open to exploring options to develop this field which sits offshore East Timor, which is at the the eastern tip of Indonesia and just north of Australia. Uh, the field uh, lies 70% in East Timor seabed, and the remaining uh, part of it is in Australian 
uh, territorial seabed. And um, and Woodside and, and the Timorese, they, they want this field developed onshore East Timor. They want the gas pipe to Timor. They want an LNG, a greenfield LNG export plant built. Uh, they believe this will um, create uh, social and economic developments for the country, which um, is a, a very new country. It became it got independence from a, a bloody occupation uh, by East Timor uh, independence in around 2002, I think. And they developed a field called the Bay of Winden field, which provided a lot of the country's revenue and, and filled up their petroleum fund. Now that field is almost depleted. Um, they're really eager to get greater sunrise up and running and get the economic benefits from that. Uh, however, uh, the Timorese National Oil Company, Timor Gap, came out the day after that Woodside said it was open to exploring uh, development options in East Timor and branded Woodside a corporate bully in a in a very um, kind of aggressive press statement, I would say, or, or public statement. Um, it and does th- sound pretty aggressive, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> Dennis the Menace Woodside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you're trying to um, work with these people. And uh, yeah, so um, Dennis the Menace Woodside, aka the corporate bully, they uh, were they were refusing to agree to a production sharing contract that would commit gas from Greater Sunrise to be processed onshore East Timor. And Timor Gap had uh, initiated a vote of the joint venture partners of Greater Sunrise. Uh, Timor Gap is the majority shareholder with uh, nearly 57% share. And, um, and Osaka Gas, Japan's Osaka Gas and Woodside vetoed this idea of uh, a special provision in the contract, the PSC, saying that the gas has to be piped to East Timor for processing. And Timor Gap believes this is a classic example of corporate bullying holding a poor developed country to ransom just to engorge their balance sheet, they said. Um, Some pretty harsh words, uh, Timor Lest. they say desperately needs this project to provide revenue, education, jobs, infrastructure development, energy security, which which is all valid, and um, but perhaps it's not the whole story. Um, Woodside Woodside have said they're open to more studies, but Timor Gap is saying the time is over. That's it. We we want this developed in East Timor. Um, so. There we are. It's um, that the easy option for this project to be developed is to pipe the gas to northern Australia and Darwin, where there's already existing LNG export infrastructure, and that has been the preferred option for Woodside. And but the Timorese have repeatedly rejected this, and I suppose time is ticking for them now. Their petroleum fund is starting to deplete, and the Bay Winden field is also depleting. Um, so. Yeah, interesting times. What what sort of size of a resource is it? Like, I mean, how many how many sort of million tons of LNG would it make? I mean, it, it, I'm just thinking about you know, obviously, there's seeming sort of intractable problem. Would FLNG be, a, be be an opportunity? So it's we're probably looking at a three million ton per year LNG export terminal. Uh, interesting that you mentioned FLNG as originally around 2010. Woodside and Shell, who was a partner then, and ConocoPhillips, who was a partner then, were proposing a big FLNG facility. And this is when the whole 
pipeline debate came up in East Timor and, and they they wanted the pipeline and they were very against FLNG and Woodside's um, chief executive at the time, a guy called Don Volte, who was a very aggressive and brash kind of I think he, I don't know if he's Australian or American, but he was very like um, a corporate bully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a corporate bully. He he definitely was, and 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 so this is a lot of history. And um, anyway, the FLNG option never happened, and probably quite rightly, given what's happened at Prelude. Otherwise, the Timorese would be uh, saying, "I told you, we, they didn't want their their field screwed up by some novel novel technology." The the energy minister told me at the time, and he was probably right on that one. Where where does Woodside um, sit? I mean, it sounds it sounds like it's a big contentious issue over the infrastructure, which you've you've, you've alluded to with, with Darwin, etc. But would they would they exit this? It doesn't sound like it's it doesn't sound like a massive priority from a Woodside perspective. But I'm, I'm also well, what are the optics politically of exiting what sounds like a, a pretty serious um, infrastructure uh, development for, for East Timor. It, it's interesting because Conoco, Phillips and Shell kind of, they were offered money by East Timor to, to get bought out of, of the project and they, they grabbed it and ran and East Timor were like rubbing their hands because they got to control the project and then Woodside were left holding the baby in a way. Um, what It's come into more focus recently now because East Timor's Woodside have said, look, if you want to build it onshore, you build it onshore. We'll do the upstream. We want nothing to do with the onshore development because of the the technical and economic risk. If you can finance that, that's fine. We'll do some sort of tolling agreement, send the gas to you. You bear the risk of the onshore. You know, East Timor, that kind of onshore development, including the upstream, was looking at about 18 billion, 20 billion or something. You know, it's a lot of money, whatever. So East Timor are probably going to have to find like, 10 billion if they want to do that and they talk about their international friends a lot and they there's a lot of talk about china and maybe south korea and japan but there's been this china card played that that china could come in and do some like loans or provide finance to gain access to east timor which is just north of australia and australia doesn't really want the chinese air force leaving their planes there or having like the navy dock there and things like this i mean i I think, I'm not sure how real the whole threat is, but again, that's another element of this whole saga. So Australia now under the new Labour government is a bit more proactive in trying to find a, a resolution. They they state they don't really mind where the, where the gas resource is developed, Australia or, or East Timor. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of politics, a lot of, a lot of history and, um, it's a difficult one. I think we're going to probably continue this trend of a lot of politics. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you uh, for that, Damon. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and next, we'll, we'll continue to climb the ladder of controversy with uh, Ed in Morocco. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. 
Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So, Ed, uh, the Moroccan government licensing oil exploration in disputed territory. Who would have guessed that could cause some problems? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, uh, yes, it's it's an incredibly uh, tricky part of the world. And I mean, as as Damon was saying, you know, with the, his, uh, his, his Timorese uh, example, these problems kind of date back for years. And obviously that kind of weight of history really kind of serves as a kind of a complicating factor. So, just to uh, give you a quick kind of uh, pricey of, of, of what's happening, uh, Morocco claims control of uh, essentially the southern half of the country, which is some see as Western Sahara. Morocco sees it as part of Morocco. Uh, the European Union feels a bit conflicted about it, possibly maybe more in favor of Western Sahara than Morocco. But obviously, still very much a live issue. Um, but very significantly, uh, Donald Trump uh, and uh, in uh, I think uh, it was a couple of years ago brought in really sort of masterminded uh, a set of diplomatic accords, uh, the Abraham Accords, which essentially uh, established uh, diplomatic relationships between Israel and a number of countries. And part of the kind of the quid pro quo of this was that Israel and the US would both recognize Western Sahara as Morocco, which um, obviously did not go down particularly well with the uh, the people of Western Sahara. Uh, and there's a, there's a big sort of refugee population of uh, Saharawis in Algeria. So that kind of plays into that kind of age-old friction between Morocco and Algeria. It's another sort of stick by which these two countries can beat each other. But so it it, it, feel, it felt largely academic up until uh, this week when uh, Numed, an Israeli company, announced this deal to take a uh, a, a fairly big license offshore, what they call uh, you know southern Morocco. Others obviously would disagree with how they how they how they see that. Um, and it's 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 such a contested problem, and I think you know a number of companies have gone there. And there have been, you know, legal claims. There have been uh, protests. I mean, you, you you mentioned some of those kind of environmental activists. There are, you know, activists who 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 raise concerns around, you know, the operating in 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 you know, essentially occupied territories. They see it, and I, I spoke to to, to one guy. Um, who, uh, who who compared it with uh, a company signing a deal with the Russian government for exploration in occupied Ukraine to give you a feeling of the kind of uh, the, the the depth of should we say of, of ill will that's kind of going on there. Tricky, tricky. Yeah, yeah. It, tricky. Yes, as you can see, it's 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 a real challenge, and, and so it's going to be a challenge, uh, I suppose. You know, around. Uh, I think obviously Newman as an Israeli company can can obviously kind of go in and, and 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 take this position. I think the problem then becomes, you know, that that next step, right, in terms of sort of, you know, banking support for Newmed, like services, uh, you know, when they want to kind of, you know, carry out any work in this uh, sort of southern Morocco exclusive economic zone. 
how can they go about it? And and, and I think you know, as we've seen, you know, sort of, you know, you, we've seen that sort of pressure come to bear in, in on sort of service companies over environmental issues. And I think that there's a very similar sort of a line of attack for uh, for, for the, you know these questions around the Western Sahara. So I think it's it's a really complicated issue, and obviously one that it's very hard to find a way through because Morocco consistently says this is Morocco. The population shift is increasing, so more and more Moroccans are moving to southern, uh, to Western Sahara, southern Morocco. So there's a kind of a question around 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 who the legitimate sort of owners are, how how you establish uh, nationality, how you establish sovereignty. It's incredibly complicated, and 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 we are the best minds to navigate it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Indeed, yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I'm. I, I guess the things that kind of strike me purely from the the business perspective is uh, why isn't this putting Numed off going here? I mean, it sounds like it's partic- particularly politically entangled and uh, ripe ripe for some kind of disruption one way or the other. Um, so maybe to get some view on that, Ed, and, and and also, what do we know about the resource area they're trying to get after, and, and, and is that part of what's enticing you? I guess. I think those 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 two questions are clearly kind of related, right? And I think um, a number of companies have come to Morocco. Morocco's got an extremely attractive uh, fiscal regime. Essentially, I think you know some people say it's it's perhaps you know the best in Africa. You know, it's among the best in the world. They're they're clearly really keen to 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 kind of drive investment in in the hydrocarbon sector. And I think you know Newmed Newmed's pitch is essentially to look for gas, right? And they 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 see there being demand for gas domestically, and there's also a kind of a question around you know potential exports into Spain, which obviously looking at what the energy crisis that we're going into, looking at the snow that you guys are having up in Aberdeen at the moment, obviously we're all kind of feeling the uh, feeling that with that wintry pinch, indeed, right? Indeed. So I think there there is a kind of a there, there is a, a clear kind of a gas security angle to it it's got to be said so far uh morocco has been largely underwhelming so cosmos energy and uh and can back in the day i think it was maybe 2015 drilled a well there um they didn't find anything particularly commercial maybe there was some gas it was it was it was essentially this it was non-commercial and they and they, they pulled out so i think i think they're there is a kind of a feeling there, there there are resources to be found. No one's quite managed to crack it yet. People have drawn comparisons uh, with the east coast of Canada, you know, obviously where there's some, you know, really sort of sizable fields, you know, Terra Nova, places like that. So I think, you know, there the, there are analogues that can be drawn. The licensing regime is attractive. Um, there's a clear sort of a domestic market for gas. Um, and I think, you know, the, 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 there are a number of drivers. So I think... The, the the appeal is there, but it's obviously just a question of, of how you go about uh, doing it. And obviously, if you do begin producing gas and then you try and sell that gas into Spain, what sort of legal challenges might you face? Uh, you know, from uh, from from Western Sahara, from uh, what sort of pressure would that put on, say, Spain from Algeria? Algeria obviously exporting a lot of gas into Spain, Italy, other places. That gives them a bit of a sort of a stick to wield. So I think there are a number of of, of, of sort of ways in which uh, this complicated system could become even more complicated. But it, yes, it, it, it feels uh, very unclear at the moment. And, and do you think there is potential for any uh, joint development agreement if they did find a substantial resource, or do you think there would 
there'd just be conflict about the development of the resource yeah i mean that's kind of the big question isn't it i mean i think i mean i guess that's the thing right like like with uh you know like with your segment just before the break right that kind of question around there is a there, if there is a gas resource and there is a clear you know there are you know there's a clear need to uh to, to, to market it how do you make it work and i think you know it's that kind of question of when do politics outweigh commerciality and, 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 and vice versa? Um, I mean, I think it would be really hard uh, for, uh, you know, a sort of a, I, I think, you know, like there, there is a sense to which, you, you know, maybe they could, they could find some space in the domestic market. But I think, I think exporting that gas, obviously, depending on what sort of resource they might find would become a lot harder. Um, and I think, you know, there is, there, there, there are so many hurdles and I think the depth of ill will, right. Between Morocco and Western Sahara and Algeria and the ways in which that, that kind of plays out is, is I think really remarkable. I and mean, I think you know, just to kind of cast your mind back to, I think last year, Algeria essentially switched off a gas pipeline running, uh, into Spain via Morocco because they fell out with Morocco. Um, they, that, that, that sort of ill will was, you know, so, so, so great. And obviously, uh, Algeria is, is, is very, um, pro the political wing of the Western Sahara, the Polisario front. So I think it's, it's, um, it would be a real challenge. And I think it's, it's a, it's an incredibly divisive issue between Morocco and essentially the rest of Africa. I think, you know, the, the African union is opposed to, uh, recognizing western sahara as part of morocco the un sees western sahara as the largest non-self-governing territory in the world um it's 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 incredibly hard to see a way through it but clearly new med feels differently and i think you know there is uh i i, I it's it's just one of those ones that is going to be really interesting yeah i mean that's yeah Let, let's well let's see how we untangle that uh, and indeed if there's a find uh, i'm sure there'll be plenty more headlines but uh okay well thank you for that ed we'll now try to climb down the rungs of controversy and, and land at the end of our episode of energy voice out loud thank you again to ed Ed and Damon for joining me. Uh, I've been Alistair Thomas and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.